1: There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space, imagine silent forever. The penis project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Programme. Prost is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au.
0: The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available or for those who are just too busy to attend consults or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you.
2: November 11th 11 a.m.
3: 60 seconds. Kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars, we remember and wonder what should we feel. For a minute, we hold. It so, quiet. welcome
0: to the Penis Project podcast tonight. We have Russell. We're actually having take two of Russell. Dr. Joe and I tried to record him quite some time ago, but me being a technical disaster stuffed it up. So we've got him back today to talk about his story. He has an artificial sphincter in after his prostate surgery for leakage and so we're going to talk to him in depth about that and we've got a guest podcaster today. We've got nurse practitioner Sharon Stephen who works at Restorative Sexual Health. Um, She is an expert in the field of of continence and things like all urology and so we've got her here today as a guest. So welcome Sharon.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And welcome Russell.
2: Thank you Melissa. Thank you, Sharon.
0: So, Russell, you sound a bit like Elvis Presley. Then, thank
2: you, thank you very much. <laughs>
0: hmm. <laughs> anyway, I'm not so,
2: that. I'm not that musical.
0: Okay, Russell, tell us your story.
2: Well, back in July of 2019, I decided to go and have a blood test, and at the time, uh, I thought, well, I haven't had a PSA test for some time. Um, and uh, so I asked the doctor to put that on the on the script. So off I went to, uh, to have the blood test and it came back that I had a PSA level of 11.2. And I also found out that the previous uh, PSA test I had uh, done was in fact two, uh, 2012. So there were seven years between The one, the 1.7, which I had in 2012, and the 11.2 in 2019. Of course, the uh, GP wasn't too excited about 11.2, so uh, sent me off to a urologist, uh, who said, "No, we need to sort this out." So gave me the option of having an MRI or a biopsy. uh, Biopsy. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I elected to have the biopsy uh, and it came back that six of the 19 samples that he took uh, had uh, signs of of cancer and uh, it was sent off to the the lab and it came back that I had Gleason 4.3 and a T2A um, rating. Right. And um, and so um, it was then decided that uh, uh, that I um, that I could would either have uh, radiotherapy or mm-hmm. I have surgery. Yes. Um, the interesting thing was that I, this particular urologist sent me back for a second test, mm-hmm. which I didn't understand because it was already proven that I had. The cancer.
3: Yep.
0: So you had two biopsies.
2: No. Ah. No. But a, a second, um, a, a, a second blood test. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. Yep.
2: And uh, which I didn't understand. So, um, uh, and it was interesting that I was going across to uh, Russia. In fact, uh, that uh, August it was August the fifth that I left, and uh, I got the um, reports back from some other tests which that urologist in fact uh, asked to occur which is I think was a, a bone a bone a, a check uh, mm-hmm. to see whether the uh, the cancer had uh, metastasized mm-hmm. and uh, also um, another test which uh, to be perfectly honest I can't remember anyway these things basically came back um, uh, uh, negative in the fact that there hadn't been any um, metastasization mm-hmm. and and um, uh, and so I jumped on a plane uh, and uh, took off to uh, to to Europe. Um, coming back on uh, about the October of um, uh, September, actually, September twenty one of two thousand and nineteen, I went back and saw him, and um, he um, he really didn't impress me by what he was going to do. So in fact, I changed. Neurologist. Uh, neurologist. You?
0: Yeah, you went to a new
2: one. I went to a new new, new neurologist. This neurologist uh, had me in. Uh, got me in fairly quickly, said we need to do something fairly promptly here, I think. Uh, and uh, I was booked in uh, to have uh, the surgery. Uh, he gave me the option of having radi- um, radiation or, um, uh, or surgery. Uh, he didn't uh, uh, make the radiation sound that terribly appealing. <laughs> um, maybe because he's a surgeon, I'm not sure.
0: Maybe. maybe. <laughs>
2: um, but I won't be cynical about that. The um so anyway, it was decided that uh, I have the surgery, and the surgery was going to take uh, uh, occur on the third um, of December two thousand and nineteen. He suggested that I lose some weight. Uh, not that I was terribly fat, but I'd just come back from Europe, and I was had a little bit of extra weight I was carrying. I remember
0: that, that you had a little, quite a bit of extra tummy bread, mm. Russian bread. I reckon I was yeah, see all Russian, that food yeah, a little and bit of vodka and stuff there was
2: mm. yeah. yeah. Uh, I was about probably 87, 88 kilos uh, and he sent me down to see Melissa and uh, she put me on to uh, a program with Optifast uh, shakes and so on uh, and an 850 uh, calorie per day diet uh, which, I, um, which I, I stuck by for the whole of the month of, of November and uh, during that time, I lost ten kilos.
0: You were so good about that. We were just talking about before we turned the podcast on. I remember you ringing up. You were so precise. You rang up to ask if you could eat two almonds each day, and you were just so so well, motivated to get rid of that weight, weren't you?
2: Well, I was. I, just, I wanted to prepare myself <coughs> properly for for the surgery.
0: And were you explained why losing the weight was important for the outcome of the surgery?
2: Uh, well, he he had he had. Three comments to make. He said um, by losing weight you'll lose your fat around your guts uh, so therefore the uh, operation will be a lot easier for me. Yes. I'll be able to find <laughs> things a lot easier. Yeah. Um, he said your recovery will be a lot faster and to be perfectly honest you'll love me after that just because you've lost the weight. Yes. So there was a sort of a three-pronged yeah. <laughs> And comment. the other
0: the other side of that is is that less fat is better for fighting
3: cancer. So right. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Thank but also for the continence as well. Mm. Yeah. So how right. does how
0: does extra weight on your belly affect your continence, Sharon?
3: Well, when you bend and things, it puts more pressure on your pelvic floor and your you know intra abdominal pressure increases, mm-hmm. which puts more pressure on your bladder, which means more leakage. Great. Okay. So I have you know. to
2: agree with that absolutely, and uh, I'll 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 comment on a little bit a little bit later if I can, Sharon. Absolutely. The um. But also during that month of November of 2019, I um, went to the physios, mm-hmm. a physio, and uh, the the aim of the game, of course, was to strengthen my pelvic floor. Uh, it it wasn't with Joe; it was another uh, physio in in Rockingham, in fact, because I, I live in Mandurah. Uh, it was a lot closer, um, but uh, I did that with the uh, with the view of uh, of, of strengthening my uh, my pelvic floor. As I was told that that would in fact assist my control of incontinence. Yes. So, um, uh, on the third uh, of December two thousand and nineteen, I had the prostatectomy by the uh, by robotics. Yes. At Hollywood Hospital, and uh, that was all done very nicely. And um, uh, they, of course, inserted a, a, a catheter. Which stayed there for about twelve days, as I recall, uh, and I went back to um, there to have the catheter removed. The nurse Leslie, as I remember,
0: wow, you got a and, great memory. And
2: uh, <laughs> and uh, she um, she laid me on the table, and um, and I actually prior to that, she said, uh, "I'm going to ask you to drink a, a bottle of water," and then she removed the the catheter. Uh, and then asked me to um, to go and um, and and, ha- and have a and have a wee and um, see w- how much came came through. Well, I think it all came through. Um, mm-hmm. But shortly after that, I went across that same within an hour. I went across to the urologist's rooms, and um, I <coughs> I remember quite clearly. I just weed my pants. Mm. It was awful. Do you yeah. think
3: you were prepared enough? for how bad the incontinence was going to be?
2: No. No. I didn't get any feedback from the surgeon as to what might have in fact happened. I understood that incontinence was in fact a, uh, a, a product of the radical prostatectomy, but um, I didn't really understand what it was. I took measurements from that day um, to, oh, for a, a good year, uh, daily, uh, I knew exactly how much I was u- uh, leaking, how much I was urinating, how many pads that I was using per day. Uh, I knew it chapter and verse, and I I, I, I documented it using Excel, and I was able oh, to I remember wow. <laughs> you know I, I had it all had it all there. Um, and for the first few first month or so, uh, it went from about seventeen hundred milliliters. Uh, a a day um, leakage down to about 200.
0: Is that a lot, Sharon? Like is 1,700 at the beginning a lot or is that kind of normal? It's so
3: variable. Okay. Absolutely variable. Um, You can never really tell how incontinent the person's going to be. You know, you can get someone who's really young, fit, healthy, he's got a really good pelvic floor, um, but when the catheter comes out they're completely incontinent and that really takes them by surprise. Mm Mm-hmm. most men have not heard of the fact that they have a pelvic floor. Yes, yeah. until you get into this situation, mm. so right. it can be absolutely variable.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I continued with the physios, and I in fact went to one physio that offered me uh, a uh, an item called the chair.
0: I forgot oh about God. the, oh, yeah. chair. the yes.
2: chair. The chair. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I did a I did a session of ten, ten sessions on the chair.
0: So the chair's kind of like a Game of Thrones chair, mm. isn't yes, it? Yes, it is.
2: It is. It is. And uh, what it's doing, and, and there's two settings on it, and the vibrations are obviously coming up through your through your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're sitting on this damn thing. Yeah. And... Um, and they they do a, a couple of sequences, uh, and the aim of the game, as I understand it, was to to actually determine where your pelvic floor was for you to for, teach for me, you to where teach it was. me to teach me where it was, so that mm. I could get the sensation of the contractions and the and the and the uh, relaxation of of the pelvic floor. What did it feel like? It was quite nice, actually.
3: I was going to say, was it?
2: Was it, it was sort of a, bit, a little bit sensual, in fact. Oh,
3: yeah.
0: I wondered about yeah, that.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I asked her whether I could go back for a second lot. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was fairly expensive, as I yes. remember. Um, so in the end, uh, I didn't feel that this um, chair was was in fact improving my, mm. my continence control. Um, I then went to, um, uh, I think, another um, uh, physio... Uh, ultimately, I ended up coming and see, saw Joe uh, Joe jo, jo mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, she said, "Well, we'll 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 get you uh, we'll get you going." And in fact, whilst I was with her, I really did find that I had a lot more control uh, over my pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line was that my my leakage, um, I mean, I was able to urinate. At, at, at times when I wanted to, um, but I was still leaking. And if I stood in front of the the mirror while I was having a shave and I didn't have any pants on and I looked down and there he was dripping away. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. just drip, 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 drip. Um, not necessarily fast, but... It, you know, it, was, there. it, it was there. It was there. It was just continually dripping.
0: God, you think about a dripping tap's annoying. Imagine having a dripping penis. That's yeah. really bloody annoying. Absolutely.
2: It was very, very damn annoying and... Um, so um uh, and, and at that time I was using about 2 to 3 uh tenor number 3 pads a day. Mm-hmm. Um now t- number 3 pads generally can take about 250 millil- milliliters but uh you, know, you you get to a point where you really need to change it because you you're wet down there.
0: So how far down the track were you now?
2: Um I was um Oh, probably uh, 10 months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 10 yep. months or so. Certainly when I saw Joe. Yes. Uh, and um, anyway, whilst talking to Joe one time that I was visiting her, um, because it was fairly inconvenient to come and see her, because I live, as I say, down in, in Mandurah, so I'd have to come up here each, each time to, to see her.
0: Just for the international people listening, Mandurah is about 40 a- a- k south.
2: 80 k south.
0: 80 k okay. south, yeah.
2: Yep. Of Perth. Um, and. Um, it was always very nice to come and see see Joe, and she was always very supportive. And uh, um, she actually showed me her uh, pelvic floor um, activity one particular time on the screen when she was doing it live. She's and it was, just showing uh, off. You know, she yes, was she, she was showing off, <laughs> so I tried to emulate her, and uh, I got to a point where she was very happy with my my performance. I think the sort of the upward movement on my pelvic floor was something in the order of about yeah you know, four millimeters to start with when I started in the November of 2019 and it got up to sort of you know, 10 10 millimeter a uh, 10 had yeah, millimeter movement uh, nice. by the by time but the incontinence was not going. so I said to Joe, I really need to go to the next level here and find out what's wrong And she said, well the, the way that we, we can we can do that is to to, to, to do a urodynamic test or a urodynamic test to be done. And she said, it's not something that I can do, but she said, you're going to see your, your urologist and um, have, a, have a chat with him. So I went and spoke to him. And actually prior to that, in fact, not um, long um, after I'd had the prostatectomy, uh, uh, the urologist gave me some tablets, the name of which I can't remember, but it started with a B. Betmega. Betmega. Bit meagre, and um, uh, I tried those, um, but they didn't have any, They didn't have any effect, and um, so I sp- spoke to him, and so he sort of got my drift, I think, by saying, "Well, it seems to me, Russell, that you want to move on," and I said, "I do." So he said, "Well, I'll refer you now to a- another urologist." Uh, who specialises in um, uh, the secondary work associated with uh, with with incontinence? So, um, so he um, he he referred me to hmm? yeah, you can right, that. Yeah. to um Jessica to, Je- to Jessica uh, uh, Yin,
0: the yeah.
2: lovely Jessica, the Je- Je- yeah. lovely Jessica, and she is a sweetheart and. Um, so I went to her and uh, she said, well, what we, what we need to do is to, for you to do a, uh, uh, a, a series of, uh, of, of daily tests on your leakage and so on and so forth and come back to me, which I did, and that, that basically indicated that I was leaking sort of around the 250 milliliters a, a day. She said the sort of arbitrary cut-off point between having a sling and having the other item, which is called an artificial urinary sphincter, is about two hundred millilitres a day. She said, "In my opinion, um, if after we do the urodynamic test, um, that that's the way. That's the, my recommendation that we we'll, would we'll do an AUS." So I did a bit of research on what an AUS was all about, um, and uh, and then I went in to uh, have the. Uh, have the test done, and um, I had the test done on um, the um, the fifteenth of uh, of November, uh, two thousand and twenty,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which is
2: not long not but just just short of short of twelve months after the uh, the prostatectomy. But it was interesting that that um, prior to that urodynamic test, um, I'd visited uh, Melissa. And uh, I had noticed that I had some unusual mm, um, testicle shape.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I forgot about this. Uh, <laughs>
2: some unusual testicle shape. Okay. In fact, one of my testicles was like like a peanut.
0: Yes, I remember that now. And
2: uh, so, so uh, Jessica said, well, you'll need to drop your pants, which I did. And uh, she had a little feel around and she said, well, I really think that we need to do something about that. So um, the, the question was put to my urologist uh, and his comment was that it's not uncommon for cysts to appear on testicles after a prostatectomy. Now, I'd never read anything about that and I still to this day haven't, but the bottom line was that I had cysts on my two testicles. So during the urodynamic test when I was watching the inside of my bladder uh, on the screen – being done by Dr. Yin, um, who was also looking for possible cancers of the bladder, which there weren't any, Um, I said to her, if you're going to put this artificial urinary sphincter in my scrotum, I think you really probably need to make some additional space because I've got cysts on my testicles. So she said, well, in that case, we better... In fact, have this prior surgery.
0: I'm just thinking you're and having you're, a look, yes, but your um, testicles are kind of like Snoopy testicles, aren't they? You've got peanuts in there. No, no, they're good. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> just joking, yeah. So, what did she do to them?
2: The uh, that's that's. Oh. You know
0: Snoopy the dog, and he had peanuts. <laughs> no, worry. I don't actually.
2: Okay. No, no. <laughs> it's a cartoon. It's a ca- yeah. I know. I know Snoopy the S- cartoon. Snoopy and peanuts.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is the bird thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
2: But um, the. <laughs> I, th- I thought you were suggesting my testicles were like peanuts.
0: I was because, yeah, anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> Moving on. But
2: the, um, well, we can have a feel if you like. No, no, it's fine. Uh, uh, the, uh, but anyway, the, the, the cysts were removed. But well, mind you, I, I really haven't actually felt anyone else's testicles, so I wouldn't know.
0: No, but you knew that yours didn't always feel like peanuts, didn't they? They felt more like walnuts and then they went to peanuts.
2: Ah, the shape of a peanut. Oh, I'm th- oh, I thought you meant like a, little, like a little ball.
0: No, I wasn't being offensive. <laughs> I was meaning the shape of them. Oh, the paint. shape of them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so I must have misunderstood. I'm a bit sensitive about my testicles. <laughs> As most men are. But yeah.
3: Mm.
2: But anyway, they had a cyst removal on the 16th of, of December 2020. And um, and that operation went fine. It was absolutely no pain, nothing at all. Wouldn't have even known that it occurred. Yeah. Um, No bleeding, nothing. But the situation still remained that I was still continuing to to leak. And um, the operation was set for sometime in early uh, December uh, 2020. But COVID got involved. Yes. Mm. And and so um, uh, operations of this nature were suspended. And uh, the operation… It didn't occur until uh, the eighth of February two thousand and twenty-one. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been now um, with my artificial urinary sphincter uh, since then. Um, would you like me just to explain yes. what a, an artificial urinary sphincter is?
0: Yep, and then we'll get Sharon to ask you some questions about mm-hmm. it. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, an artificial Um, Well, what actually occurred during the urodynamic tests, uh, which was in fact followed by a cystoscopy. Um, A cystoscopy is when they put the camera up your uh, penis and have a bit of a look around in in there. When uh, Dr Yin was looking around inside my um, bladder, she said, I can see the problem. Your sphincter is not closing. Mm-hmm. And for males, they're, they're, they're born generally with two sphincters, one above the prostate and one below the prostate. The upper sphincter gets removed when the prostate's removed and, and the lower sphincter is attached to the bladder and, of course, during that process, the urethra is is, is pulled up so that it will attach to the underside of the bladder which unfortunately does cause a little bit of penis length reduction and I think most guys can't really afford that. I certainly couldn't. <laughs> but, <so laughs> but anyway, um, that, that's another issue altogether. Uh, and um, so Dr Yin told me that um, the sphincter is really a, a circular type muscle which um, goes around the, um, around the urethra. And in in some males, it's relatively long. In some males, it's shorter. And it it would appear in my case that it wasn't that particularly long. And I do know that when my urologist did the prostatectomy, he said he had to go lower because the cancer had, in fact, had got outside the, um, the perimeters of the prostate. So it would appear that my lower sphincter was compromised. And uh, that's the reason that it wasn't closing. And as Doctor Yin said, it didn't matter how many, how much pelvic floor strengthening I did, that my sphincter would never close. No, it's completely and, uh, physical at that point. Yeah. So she, she, uh, that was the other reason why I needed to go down this this uh, this AUS. Fortunately, I have a friend. Um, uh, who was a member of my my bridge club and um he um, <coughs> had this operation done by by Jesse Ian about twelve months before so he was really my mentor he was very very good and um so um we uh, we we did the test but anyway the the um, the a u s basically is uh, consists of this there's a pump which uh, is placed uh, in in the um in the scrotum. And there are two tubes coming away from the pump. One goes up to a collar which goes around the urethra and another pipe which goes up to a reservoir which is located higher than the uh, where the uh, the clamp goes around the urethra and acts as a reservoir. Uh, the uh, circuit is filled with, uh, with liquid, saline liquid as I understand it, and... Um, and by gravity, the uh, reservoir fills the tube, goes around and and the force is then exerted around the, um, the collar, which squeezes down on the urethra. In order to have or in order to urinate, you grab yourself by the by the scrotum, <laughs> lo- locate the top of the tubes, and you hold just firmly, and you give the lower part of the uh, of this little pump. A couple of presses, and you and you urinate. The uh, pressure of urination is in fact quite intense, mm-hmm. and if you don't direct it well at the, at, at the bowl, it can go everywhere.
0: I'm sort of picturing car parked on a hose, then you move the tire, and then it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's right. yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, and, and my mentor said, um, "You will be able to spray every everywhere, Russ." He said, you no problem at all." Right. But I must admit, uh, as time goes by, you become quite accurate. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I'm feeling and,
0: sorry for whoever cleans
2: the toilet yes. at your house. No, no, no. So, and in fact, even to this day, I still measure my my urine output. Right. Because during the time when I had the urodynamic test, the exercise was really to, uh, apart from checking the pressures in the rectum and also uh, in the uh, in in the penis, um, was to see what the capacity of my bladder was. Mm. Right. Because um, because I had no ability to re- retain liquid in my bladder, the bladder, being a muscle, just gradually reduces in in, in volume. Like a balloon. Yeah, and like a balloon. Yeah, and um, so it was it was determined that the capacity of my bladder was around about four hundred and fifty milliliters. <laughs> Which Dr Yin was very very happy about. She said that in some instances men had come in and their bladder had in fact redu- reduced down to a hundred mil. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so the reason that I'm still doing my tests um, is because I rather than actually weighing into a bowl, I weigh into a bucket which I place in the in the um, in the toilet seat. Uh, which just brings it a bit higher, yes. so that He's I don't gives me a little bit a little bit less distance to, in fact, shoot into the ball. Uh, and but I use that and have my scales next door, and uh, and I just put the bucket on top of that and I and I weigh uh, what the uh, and I determine what the volume that I'm urinating. My bladder capacity has improved to around about seven hundred mils. Which I'm quite happy with. Mm-hmm. It's gone from 450. It's gone up. That's good. Um, I have uh, no leakage at night. Um, I still have um, uh, a little bit of leakage um, at times during the day. And as Sharon said earlier, you develop weight around your gut, and you bend over you're gonna exert pressure on your bladder. Yes. And this is just a mechanical device which is in fact around your urethra and it's gonna push past. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um and I mean I, I, I believe I believe that situation even exists in people without even absolutely a a, does. A, a, a a a prostatectomy situation like this. Um and also with things, um, you know, I'm a fairly physical guy, I'm up and down ladders and you know, lifting, you know, 20-litre jerry cans in and out of the back of cars and in and out of the back of boats and so on. And each of those movements, sometimes um, you can feel a slight little ejection of urine as you do it. Mm -hmm. So I continue to wear a pad, um, just a number one pad, um, but I use uh, a number one pad and uh, quite honestly a number one pad would last me – Two to three days now. Just from a hygiene point of view, I don't. Good. I don't keep it on for one to, uh, to for three days. I change it daily. Yes. Um, but um, and and it, and it also depends too on things like the afternoon. Um, you tend to become a little more tired, uh, and and that has the uh, potential to. Cause a bit of leakage, but my leakage now would be, and again, I've measured this so I know, um, anywhere between 10 and and oh, sorry, maybe less, <laughs> it's actually five and about 20 mil a day, depending on what I do. Oh, that's a big, that's difference. Nothing. so that's so real. Nothing. So, uh, and and as as uh, Jessica again said, Russell, y- you will have urine in your urethra, in your penis. Even when you shake it yes. hard and long, you'll still get a drip coming out the bottom of it and this comes out. But I but I wear a pad just purely and simply, just in case of, of uh, an emergency. Last thing I want to do is have a wet patch in front of a trouser. All
3: for confidence yeah. as well, isn't yeah, it? It gives yeah. you that confidence yeah, to be does. able to be... More you know active and be more normal, I suppose. yeah, it
2: does. and and particularly, you know sometimes you know playing bridge and that sort of stuff you might be sitting down for, yes, you know, for several hours uh, and you don't get up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might be moving from table to table, but yeah, you need to be able to hold on and uh, uh, I can do that without any 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 worry at all.
3: Yeah, you know. that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you've managed to increase your bladder capacity., yep. definitely. Um, I probably wouldn't go much further than you have. Um, seven fifty is a good seven hundred seven fifty is a good normal.
2: It's a good normal. Uh, yeah. well, not normal, but you know, what, what, what would what would, it, what would a good normal be? Sure. Look,
3: they reckon that you know around two hundred and fifty, your bladder gives off sign of little warning signs that you know it's filling up. Right. but we tend to not even recognise them. Yes, we don't even think about it and once the bladder, uh, you know, gets about 350, then it starts to go, hey, I'm filling up. You might need to think about, you know. And we generally, if we're busy, kind of just don't even yes. recognize that. Sure. So, and sometimes it can be not until you're really full that you suddenly realize, oh, I need to go f- for a weight. Now, that's all right if you have no problems. But, as you said... If you're full, you've got a little bit of weight around your tummy, you know, and you're bending or anything like that, then you are going to leave.
2: Well it's interesting you say that because this this seven hundred odd that I that I've I've managed to achieve is only and it's only ever been after a night of sleep.
3: Yes. And right, so so if yeah. I go
2: to bed, say at ten o'clock and I wake up at seven o'clock, uh, and then I uh, and, and then I, I go to the toilet. Mm. That is the only time that I'd get that higher figure.
3: Yeah, and that's
2: fine. Because d- during the day, because uh, people ask me, do I still get the same? Do I get a sensation of wanting to go? to… Just
0: written that question down. Yeah,
2: <laughs> a sensation of wanting to go. Yes, to to, you know, to have a wee. Yeah, and the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah,
3: because
2: absolutely the, yes,
3: that sensation is caused by the bladder expanding.
2: Because
3: mm. your bladder is basically a storage device.
2: Yes. So
3: it's that expansion of the volume of, of fluid that's in your bladder that sends the, you know, the signals up your, your spinal cord and, into and your
2: brain. And, and I'd be and I'd be going to the to the toilet um, um basically when I'm about two hundred and fifty mil. That's mm. when it's telling me to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I did speak to, um, to to Dr. Yin there at one stage, she said, how often do you go to the toilet, Russell? Uh, for another week, I said, oh, probably about a couple of times a day. She said, well, that's a bit unusual. I go about six.
3: Yeah. Six, <laughs> six to eight's normal. <laughs> six
2: to eight's reckon. normal. So I had to have a bit of a rethink about that. Mm. And uh, probably I do go that many times. And well, I certainly go that many times now. Yes. Uh, because um, – uh, and, and it's interesting that prior to – Having this test done back in July of 2019, I had absolutely no symptoms at all. I didn't have any problem urinating. I was able to stop mid mid urination, you know, yep. during during the process, which I'm told is not the particularly good practice. But I, 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 you're able to do that. I was able to do that. I had no pain. I, I didn't have regular visits to the to the uh, to the toilet uh, like I know a lot of guys have. Um, so mine was completely symptomless. Yes. It was just purely and simply I had the PSA test done and it was abnormal.
3: And that's, why, that's how you want it. Mm. You don't want to be waiting mm. until you have symptoms before you seek medical help. And why is that, Sharon? Why is it better to
0: just get your PSA checked regularly than it is to wait? That, because once you get symptoms, it's too
3: late? Can be. Absolutely yeah. can be. You know, there is a, there's that school of thought with men who are, you know, have less medical knowledge, if you want to put it that Mm. way, that, you know, as you get older, your stream kind of tails off, you can sometimes dribble a little bit, you're up and down to the toilet a lot during the night. Now, that in itself does not point to prostate cancer, Mm. that points to an enlarged prostate, which is a natural phenomenon that Mm. happens with men as they grow older. So... It doesn't always correlate, so mm-hmm. definitely um, regular testing is the way to go. Yeah,
2: and and to leave it a little bit less than, than seven two, years. Two, two, two seven years that I yes. did, uh, <coughs> and, and that was purely and simply um, uh, complacency, I think, uh, and and maybe just a bit of ignorance. I, I really didn't have any issues, and when other guys told me about they go through their PSA tests, I said, well, I don't have any problems. So but, uh, so I was I was a little bit complacent there.
3: But then you, you would hope. That your GP had the knowledge to say, hey, suddenly, mm. no. no. I changed but GP as a result. Oh, look, yes. you know, yes. but and, that's,
0: and that's a really good point, I think, mm. because I think that, you know, you, we should be, men should be getting tested once a year Absolutely. after the age of 50 and leaving it for seven years is kind of understandable if you're a person who switches GPs. But if you've been
3: going to the same one all the time, we rea-
0: they really should have been testing that more. No,
2: I, w- I, was, I was most disenchanted by that. I yeah. really was. I, I
3: and, you know, and, uh, you know in defence of the GPs, the sort of parameters that the Urological Society and the Prostate Cancer Society and Foundation, etc., have got this set of protocols, but then the General Medical Council that do with the GPs... And the Royal College of GPs have yeah, something different. There's something different. So unless you're in the know, mm. you kind of just go by what your GP's telling you. Yeah, and you do also go
0: by the... The GPs go by the Royal College of GPs. Of course they do. And if anyone at the Royal College of GPs is listening, I really ask you to... So maybe have a look at the guidelines and see how they go in comparison with the urological guidelines. 100%. 100%. Because age is not always a predictor. And can I ask you a question, Russell? The pump in your testicles, like, Mm. is it annoying? Like, if you wear, you know, your Elvis Presley tight jeans, is your pump squidging around in there annoying you or you don't really know? Like, does it change the the, the way sort of jocks you wear, the sort of pants you wear, anything like that? Not at all. Okay.
2: Not at all. In fact, uh, I I I did bring the pump in with me. Yes. Uh, this is not the one that I have in my in my scrotum. This is one that. Um,
0: oh, I don't mean your penis pump. I mean your pump in your scrotum. Does that annoy you?
2: Yeah, I've got one here. Yeah. Have
0: you? Okay. Oh, you bought another one, like an example pump in with you. Ah, it's a shame that we're not um, visual. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. We've got a bit of shuffling going on around here for you podcast listeners. I feel like I'm on the radio and I'm explaining something. And oh, they've… Yeah. So Russell has an amazing little key ring that has a pump. And so does Shannon. Sharon (laughs) Sharon does too. Now, I'm going to explain what this looks like. In fact, I'm going to take a photo of what this pump looks like and I'm going to put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to have a look. And it's actually quite a small thing. Now, I'm assuming you get to carry one of these on your key ring. So if you have an accident, someone knows that you've got this pump in
2: there. Uh, that's a, an interesting comment. Um, my, my mentor, my, my the other guy who uh, had the AUS, he, in fact, has a Medi Alert bracelet. Yes. And it's uh, – again, I've been a, a little bit tardy in, in doing this. I'm normally fairly efficient, but I, uh, I'm really not heavily into bracelets. Mm. Um, and uh, – but – I think it's important that I have it because one of the issues is that you cannot be catheterized uh, Unless it's deactivated. Unless it's deactivated. And uh, this little pump has, in fact, three three sections to it. It has the pump at the lower end, which you push. In the middle is a button, raised button, which is the deactivation button. And then at the top of it… you uh, you press either side of it in order to activate it. I know the day that um, about three weeks after that I had the op um, for the uh, AUS, the artificial urinary sphincter. I went to Doctor Yin's rooms, and the nurse was there, and she and uh, Doctor Yin said, "Well, activate Russell's um, AUS." And so she grabbed the other either side of this, and she couldn't activate it. Uh, so, Doctor Yin, um, being the girl she is, uh, <laughs> she's, she's lovely. a lovely girl. You squeezed it really she, hard. Uh, she yes. she grabbed hold of it and gave it a good squeeze. Um, I didn't think my uh, scrotum could, in fact, handle it, but it did, and uh, and and it worked fine. And she said to me, uh, "I want you to uh, drink a few glasses of water, and then I want you to uh, go and sit outside in the waiting room, uh, and then I want you to go down to the uh, to the to the toilets." and I would like you to stand over the toilets and press the button and see whether you urinate, uh, which I did, and I came back and spoke to her. I was a little on – on, on, on a visit subsequent to that first activation visit, um, I was a little concerned as to whether, in fact, I was voiding uh, totally. And so I asked Dr Yin uh, if she would uh, have a test done where they did the um, ultrasound yeah. on the bladder – and they told me that um, I was uh, I was voiding properly. That's about the only sensation that I feel that's not sort of that terribly clear to me is that when I'm standing over the toilet uh, and uh, or at the urinal, I can do it at the urinal too. It's a little bit more difficult because you've got to put your hand down your pants and grab hold of your your scrotum, which is. Uh, basically, what I have to do to do that yes. at, a, at, a, at a men's urinal is I have to actually drop my pants, mm. drop my underpants just down the front, and then grab it. Now, that doesn't concern me. I mean, uh, uh, I, I know a lot of guys get too embarrassed with that and they w- want to go to a cubicle. Mm. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't care. I've got a uh, funny
0: story about that. I've got a patient who has a penis like implant pump. And a AUS and he has a pump for his, like, oh. urine in one side and a pump for his erections in the other. And he said when he goes to the toilet and someone's looking over at him when he's trying to scrabble around in his testicles looking for the sure. pump, yep. he pushes the other one up just to give him a shock and they stop looking, you know. So pumps his penis up so that they… That's Ma- funny. Yes, yeah, so that really funny. <laughs>
2: maybe I should get one of those. Yes, <laughs> I think maybe you need
0: one of those just for a bit of trickster. A bit of a trickster, Yeah. yeah yes.
2: yes. That's right. Um, so… Um, yeah that that's i mean I find it easier just to go to a to a to a cubicle yes. because you can just just do it without a lot of you, but it really is of no consequence to me mm. uh you just really gotta get over these things and if uh, some guy wants to comment about the fact that you've got your pants down around your knees uh why are you having a leak uh then uh, you far could just far as I'm, far as I'm concerned, he can comment at all he likes. Well, you could just turn to
3: him <laughs> and go, check out my flow, buddy. <laughs> well, it's not anybody else's business. But, it, is, it isn't, no. You know, um, and that, I suppose, is the issue around the difference between men's toilets and ladies' toilets. Absolutely. There's one normally, one stall, yep. and the rest is urinals. Mm. Same as, you know, it goes exactly. back to that sort of bins exactly. for blokes thing. Yes. You know, yeah. they there's not that opportunity no. in a male toilet as there is as in a female
0: no that's right so russell are you glad you had this done like is would you do it again is it something that you would recommend to people in your situation
2: well, I, I would have liked the surgeon initially when he did my prostatectomy not to quite take so much of my <laughs> sphincter. Yes, uh, and then I might have, in fact, like they say that ninety-five percent. And that was the other disappointment that I had actually, because all of the documentation I read was it said that ninety-five percent of males, in fact, uh, get their continence back. Yes. Um, I, I, um, I've spoken to a lot of guys, uh, and in fact, a member of the uh, of the Mangera uh, prostate survivors yep. group um, these guys all have continuing problems mm. um, they either uh, you know, can't get erections their sexualities uh, you know' gone um, uh, or they're leaking and they can't control it and and so on and so forth as far as I'm concerned um, because I'd made the decision be, that I wasn't getting better after about a 12-month period… …I think this is the best thing that I ever did. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, uh, if you put it in percentage terms… …I'm probably 95% of what I was before. Yeah, okay. As far as a as, 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 that, that's as far as the, the urination side of things is concerned. Um, I have actually d- did make the comment to somebody um, the other day. In fact it was a female… Uh, that I said that I'd actually gone from being automatic to manual. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: That's good. I like that. That is very good. You know, I, th- I was… And,
2: and in fact, that comment that was made when I spoke to a number of women that in fact, uh, uh, about it when I was going through this process and I was fairly open with them as to what… And uh, I was said that I had this leakage issue and they, they said, well, look, talk to somebody who's interested because we have our own problems. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So… Yes. You so, know, um <laughs> Back you to know.
0: that point you made about people in the prostates, of you know, um, support groups mm. often having issues. Mm. I think that's true. But what I do think is I think it's a biased viewpoint because I think that the guys who go along through the whole process and they're good, you know, they get their sexual function back because we definitely see that and they're dry and they do really well. They don't feel the need to go to a support group. No. So you end up with people in the support group, which I think are the most brilliant things. those They're pieces, very FFA, good support groups, but, but you do end up yeah. with people in them that all have some sort of issue because that's why they're going to the support group. So I think if you only think about the people in those groups, it would be very easy to get an impression that most people ended up with a long term problem.
3: 100% agree with that. You know, your prostate cancer support groups tend to be those either newly diagnosed who are mm. looking for information, etc., um. Once men have had their surgery and they become dry and they get their erection function, why would they go?
0: Mm. I wish they would,
3: though. So that I these I agree. Other people could say a hundred percent. I agree, but there's that fact that you know they want to get their prostate removed, get back to normal, and get on with their lives, and they don't want to be keep revisiting. Yes. That by going to a plant, uh, you know, a support group, which is unfortunate because. Mm. I do think men need to see the good side of things yeah, as well. Yeah, they mm-hmm. do. Which,
0: yeah, but you, you're happy anyway that you got it done, Russell. Oh, absolutely. And your quality of life now is good. Oh, and
2: it's, it's it's first class. Yeah, the um, yeah, I can I, I can carry on on uh, yeah, normal activities without any issue with it.
0: And what about your just before we wrap up your PSA? What is that like? Still undetectable?
2: Uh, I think the last one I had was in May, last May. Uh, when I saw the saw the uh, the the, um, the urologist and mm. uh, that was zero or less than point two. Yeah. Uh, so that was fine. He then sent me back to my uh, my um, GP and said, uh, "I've had enough of you, so that you can go away for for a while. Um, if there's any other issues, well, then then come back to me." Um, I, I would say that one of the one of the things about the AUS is that the the cost of the actual AUS. Um, uh, device is, is very high. Um, How much does it cost? It costs
3: $25,000. Yeah, it's very cost per It,
2: it costs $25,000. That's just for the device. And was
0: that out, out of pocket with your private health?
2: N- n- no, with private health it covered.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, Lord. okay. Yeah. Good. Great.
2: Private okay. health covered it at 100%. Right. For me, mind you, on the top, I'm on the top level of, of okay. medical and and so on. But so if you don't have
0: private health and you need to get it done privately, because you then that's that a very big expense, isn't huge. It? it? Huge, Absolutely it, huge. Yeah, okay.
2: absolutely huge. In fact, I, I I did question it when I got the um, uh, the quote from the uh, f- uh, from the urologist from the uro- urologist rooms. And uh, I went back and I said, I think there must be an error here. And they came back and said, no, that's not what it is. Uh, and the actual surgery was around about $4,000, which w- wasn't uh, fully covered by mm. by uh, by, uh, by private health care, yeah. uh, to some degree covered by, by Medicare. Yeah. Um, the life of the unit, uh, they say, in is in the order of, of 10 to 15 years. Um, uh I'm 74 now it's uh, what 70 yeah 70 around about 74 when I had it um so that'll take me through to 84 or uh, or, or close on 90 if I uh, if I get there I'd be I'd be happy and I I think I think probably um um I wouldn't be worrying about having it redone I'd probably just start wearing pads like a whole lot of other old guys. <laughs> yeah, well, at that
3: cost, you know. Exactly, no. yeah, it is but, really uh, expensive. But
2: mm. they, they were for the three components mm. and uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that all three components components need to be replaced. No. So they can replace them individually because they're effectively three operations. Yes, uh, okay. All happening at the same time. Mm. Yeah. But and uh, you've got
3: that, that period of when you go and have it fitted it's not actually activated for some weeks later. No, that's right. But so it was, you was about still have to get used to, you know, wearing a pad even though you've got these surgical incisions. Yeah. Right.
0: Can, can I ask you a question, Sharon? When you have an AUS in, do you need to keep doing pelvic floors or is that the
3: end of it then, you don't worry about it? Interesting. Uh, look, you know, if you're only doing pelvic floor, if you if you're in that mindset that you're only doing pelvic floor, purely for incontinence, mm-hmm. then most men are not going to do it. Right. But you've got to look at all the other benefits of your pelvic floor, what it actually does, you know, um, its role within your sexual function. And, and
0: your back stability and, and, your and back reducing ig- your back pain. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So there is
3: another whole lot of er- er reasons
0: why we would do pelvic floor other than continence. Definitely. I, I, I
2: have to agree with you wholeheartedly. In fact, I have a comment here. I believe that pelvic floor muscle contraction helps... Leakage control, mm. and in fact, even now, when I when I say get up from a seat which is like a lounge room seat, mm-hmm. which is fairly recessed, and yes. you're having to stand up, and you're using quite a lot of your abdominal muscles to, in fact, stand up. Um, if you, in fact, contract, uh, you can, and 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 perceivably know that you, you are not leaking, mm. and, and that's I, the thing. I, so you know, it, I, I do it. I do definitely. it all the time.
3: Yeah. And the idea of doing that pelvic floor exercises, apart from to, to strengthen the pelvic floor before surgery, etc., is that, you know, the idea is you're laying muscle memory. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in the initial stages, we're teaching them that, yeah, do your exercises to tone it up, but use it. Contract before you stand up, before you bend over. Cough, sneeze, laugh. The more you do it, the more you actually find that you do it automatically. Yeah. Especially okay. after the surgery, not so much before because you don't leak before. Yeah. okay. But you suddenly become very aware. Oh, I should have contracted my pelvic floor there.
0: Well, I've just been to see a women's health physio about pelvic floor, and it's bloody hard it to is isolate hard. your pelvic floor. You know, like it's not an easy thing.
2: Well, I can sit here, and I actually have been exercising my pelvic floor as we've been sitting here.
0: Yeah. Okay. And
2: uh, and I can I can I can do th- I can do this. It's um. I mean you did mention that it in fact is to do with sexual activity, and as I think that's probably my only disappointment in this whole exercise is that um, it has had uh, an effect on my ability to erect
0: yes mm-hmm. um, yeah,
2: and I think the gain that um the the depth which the surgeon would have had to have gone down probably to remove that lower section of the uh, of the you know outside the prostate, he probably did impact the uh, the, nerves. the uh, the pelvic mm. floor uh, nerves, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, quite dramatically. Yes, because and this
0: uh, this period down, you the, those nerves clearly aren't going to come back now because you're this far down the track.
2: Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, I did. I did have some interesting. I did have some um, uh, ability to do erect um, prior to the AUS, but but now I don't.
0: Yeah. Because then there's been more tampering, at least scar tissue and blazoness.
2: One of the um, the the there's there's two incisions which are made uh, during the installation of, of of the AUS, the three components. One is an abdominal uh, insertion where they in fact put in the reservoir, and then um, there's a an entry in between the between the scrotum and the rectum. Where they in fact Got cut, perineum, cut yeah. the per- perineum? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a word I remember. Uh, and they cut right through that area. Now that is the pelvic floor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Is yes. Yeah. So um, I, um, you know, a, a, but I think that's a fairly small price to pay. It. I mean, at it, seventy it, four, you know. Uh, my days of of, of of child rearing and, and so on are, are all gone, uh, and I was in fact told by the surgeon at the time that I was going to have a, a vasectomy anyway uh, <laughs> as, as a result of this. So that that was probably gone. But uh, you know, as I say, that's that really is probably my only disappointment mm-hmm. uh, with the with this AU or the the whole process or where I am currently. Yeah, you know. It's just okay. it's just a man thing.
3: Yeah, know. yeah, I totally get that. Oh, this whole thing's a man thing. No, you know, I, I think that whole social thing of me, women expect to be incontinent following childbirth and as sure. we get older, sure. which is not necessarily, you know, it doesn't have to be true. No. Um, but it's kind of how we're conditioned. So it doesn't become a shock to us. No. But men don't. It's just not something that is in that man. It's funny
2: you read read about these things, and it says ninety-five percent of you. And I think, well, I'm a normal guy. I'll I'll get over this. Not no problem. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't. Um, And uh, that in itself was a bit of a disappointment. But I I must admit, I I haven't at at any stage uh, gone into a state of depression. Disappointment, but not depression. There is a difference. So, yeah, big, mean, big, big, time.
0: Huge. So, I think we need to wrap it up now. So, thank you so much. Is there anything either of you would like to say as an ending, or have we have we wrapped it up?
2: Well, there was one thing that you did ask me about whether. Oh, I forgot to ask you the most you, important it, thing. This is a, this is a question that Melissa was going to ask me. I did tell her a while ago on 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 take one um, that that when I went to the toilet. The poo story. The poo story. When I went to the number two toilets, that that what I really needed to do was to activate my uh, AUS um, in order to urinate because then, in fact, allowed me to poo more easily. And she was a bit surprised about that. I was
0: very surprised. So
2: I said to her, "Well, next time you go to number number twos, you see whether you urinate at the same time because I'm sure girls do it as well."
0: And we do. We do. Absolutely. So that means – so if you try and do a poo but you don't activate your AUS, you can't do it?
2: Well, I think what actually happens is that the bladder then try – no, the bladder being a muscle then tries to exert pressure on the urethra.
3: And uh, and it's closed. And and in fact I try to
2: force past the clamp. Yes, right. and therefore I don't want to do that because no. all it does is stress the stress the stress the system, and I don't ah. want to stress the system.
0: So you got to undo your clamp and then do your poo. Exactly Excellent. right. And do exactly. we? And do people get taught that, Sharon, or is that just something that you have to figure out for yourself?
3: It's not something I've thought about before, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely something I will.
2: It it, it was nothing that was told to me. No. I I don't think it's in the general kind of… I
0: don't remember ever thinking of it or hearing it until you said it to Mm. me. And since Mm. then I'm like, yeah, you're right. It makes sense. We and Pooh at the same time. We do.
3: Yeah.
2: All
0: right. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Russell. And thank you for being so patient with me and my technical disasters and having take two. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Sharon. It was lovely to have a new guest on the show. No
3: problem. Thank you.
0: I'm
1: going to tell you about a a boy lives inside me, it's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases and this helps our podcast get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Just a mystery to me I've got a boy of my own now fills me with pride to see
2: him growing so fast into a man